Welcome to the Fire Learning Trail. The Fire Learning Trail is brought to you by the Fire Learning Network, the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists, the Nature Conservancy, and the USDA Forest Service. Your guide on this trail is Pat Kaiser with the University of Tennessee, and I'm Jen Bunty with the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists. Here we are again with another episode of the Fire Learning Trail. We're continuing our series in the Daniel Boone National Forest, but we're taking a little bit of a turn, and instead of talking to a fire manager, we're talking to a fire scientist, researcher Pat Kaiser with the University of Tennessee. Pat, do you want to talk a little bit about your background and what it is you do? Yeah, my name is Pat Kaiser, and I am the director for the Center for Native Grasslands Management here at the University of Tennessee. So I do research on any kind of lands that, that produce grassy areas, so pastures, uh, woodlands, savannas, and things related to fire ecology. And I've been here at the University of Tennessee since 2006 and have been working in natural resources for most of 35 years now, mostly here in the uh, Mid-South uh, the U.S. So Pat, what kind of research are you doing in the Daniel Boone? Well, so what we're doing on the study, what we're monitoring, we have several locations we're doing this in Tennessee and Kentucky and North Carolina. So we're trying to get a pretty good picture of how we can use prescribed fire in the oak and oak pine forest of the Mid-South. And there's several things we're interested in. One, and a lot of people don't realize this, but the oak forests that we have today are are certainly beautiful. They're they're valuable. But what people don't realize is that they're unhealthy. If if you look at, for instance, the age structure of these forests, they're fairly old and they're consistently old, and we don't have a lot of young trees coming on to replace the mature ones that are getting old and starting to uh, run their course. And so we're trying to explore ways that we can restore the, the regeneration process, the renewal of the forest. And one of those tools, obviously, is fire. The other thing that we find is that some of our forests, because of the closed canopy condition they've been in for so long, which really is somewhat unnatural for our part of the country, historically a lot of these forests had somewhat open canopies and some sunlight reaching the forest floor, and as a result we had a very diverse uh, forest understory with a large number of herbaceous species, grasses, uh, wildflowers, legumes of different types as well as a shrubby cover and and young trees growing. And with the closed canopies and the absence of fire, we've lost a lot of that. So we've lost a lot of the the biodiversity that's so important to an oak forest. So what we're trying to do with this project is explore ways to use prescribed fire to bring back a healthier, more sustainable oak ecosystem. And we, we certainly want to see the regeneration that we've talked about, the replacement of the old forest, but we also want to see that rich diversity of plants and, and the animals that depend on that rich diversity of plants to be restored to our oak forests. So, Pat, what are you doing specifically at some of these fire learning trail sites in the Daniel Boone? Like, what are you doing at the Freeman Fork site? What we're doing is we're monitoring the regeneration, the new seedlings that are growing. We're monitoring the, the shrubs, some of which are real important to provide cover for wildlife, uh, fruit, Uh, that's important for wildlife food, but also the herbaceous ground layer that's so important to producing, for instance, insects, pollinators. Uh, These insects are real important to a lot of forest wildlife species, particularly birds. 
but they also provide cover for larger animals for nesting cover. And so we're monitoring that. We've also had the opportunity to uh, monitor bird populations. We're particularly interested in breeding birds. There's a rich diversity of birds that breed in these eastern oak forests. And we're, we're trying to document which ones are successfully breeding here. And we've also had an opportunity to do a little bit of work on forest bats. Bat species, some of them are declining because of some uh, disease issues that have come into our hibernation areas. And so we've been looking at how bats are using the forests that we're exposing to burning and other management programs to try to restore more traditional woodland and savanna conditions that were common many, many years ago in this part of the country. So do you guys have any early findings on any of these research questions? So we're seeing a, a pretty big increase in the number of bird species, the abundance of birds, and we're also seeing some very successful nesting and productive populations of these birds that like these disturbed areas, areas where there's a, a rich ground layer. So that's exciting to see that, that we're uh, restoring that. The other thing that we've really seen is that the number of herbaceous species and the amount of herbaceous cover in the ground layers really increased a lot while we're doing this management. We, we've gone from as little as eight uh, grassy uh, herbaceous species in the ground layer to as many as nearly 300 different species now that we've identified, many of which are rare or very uncommon, but used to be relatively common in our part of the world. Ah, oh, that's great. I'm noticing that you're using the term restoration a lot. Can you talk about what the end goal would be or if there's an end goal for this restoration process? Yeah, so you step back and look at the bigger goal. Depending on how frequent fire is used and how many times it's applied to a given uh, forest, we can move from closed canopy oak forests with very little regeneration and a lot of fire intolerant species that historically weren't dominant on these sites. And so the, these forests have really shifted away from the, what, what they've been for really hundreds and even thousands of years just here in the last half century. So one thing we want to do is, is shift them back to a species composition that is more fire adapted and more typical of our part of the world dominated by things like oak, hickory, and shortleaf pine, for instance, and less things like red maple, poplar, sugar maple, uh, white pine, which in American beech, for that matter, which are species that aren't very tolerant of fire. So that, that kind of end point will vary by where we are in the forest, but we will certainly want to see more diversity in that structure and the composition and so if we can wind up in a situation where we've got healthy forest regeneration, healthy ground layers, and healthy wildlife populations, that, that's the real outcome that we want to see. So if our restoration goal is historically based, how do we know what that historical composition was or what these historical forests look like? Yeah, there's a lot of evidence that shows us what, what used to be out here. One of them uh, that... that maybe is more intriguing than others to me. It's just the historical, historical accounts from early explorers, what they describe being there. We have other evidence from early surveys when people came through laying out farms and, and different tracts of land that would record witness trees. And so we know what kind of trees used to be out here, the, the, the most common trees that are referred to in those early accounts. 
the other thing we can look at is uh, pollen deposition in, for instance, ponds and, and uh, wetland areas. It gives us some indication of what used to be here. Uh, another Im important piece of evidence that tells us what the conditions used to be is uh, the, the fire scars. So we know there was relatively common fire historically going back hundreds of years. And just to clarify, we're talking about fire scars that are on the rings of trees. So we can tell what year fires happened because we can look at the age of the tree and see a burn mark. Sure, sure. Maybe one of the most persuasive things is the seed bank. And, and when I mentioned seed bank, what we're talking about is the, the seed that basically lays dormant in the soil until the right conditions come along to allow it to germinate. So besides the fact that some of these species were present historically or present in larger numbers historically, what's the benefit to having them around? As far as oak forests go, you know, oaks themselves are, are very valuable commercially. We, we support the, the development of the oak barrels that are used to make uh, bourbon, and, and later those same barrels are used to make wine out in California. So that, that oak resource is very valuable to us. It's cherished for flooring, cabinets, furniture. So it's a real valuable wood and has been really for, for centuries. And losing those those oaks has an economic impact, but they're also very valuable for wildlife. There are literally hundreds of species of wildlife that regularly use oak, that they use the acorns for food, and, and those are critical foods for things like grouse, um, turkey, bear, deer. The, these species, and obviously things like squirrels, blue jays, depend very heavily on acorns for food. But the other issue is that, that oaks provide very important foraging habitat and nesting habitat. The maples, uh, a lot less valuable for wildlife, a lot less valuable for lumber. And uh, so we, we will always have the maples, but we're at risk of seeing a lot of these oak forests disappear. You mentioned using oak for timber, for furniture and whiskey barrels, which is, you know, a big deal in Tennessee and Kentucky. Wouldn't fire affect the quality of the timber if it burns the trees? So prescribed burning can definitely influence uh, timber quality if you get fires hot enough to create scarring. You know, when you think about a saw log, most of the value is in that butt log, the lowest log closest to the ground, the first 16 feet. And so if you get scarring there at the base of the tree from the fire, that tends to disproportionately affect the quality of that timber because that's, that's where, so to speak, the money is. And so uh, it can be an issue, but the real key to it is not having fires that are too extreme. So we moderate the fire intensity. In other words, keep the flames so they're not, you know, too, too large and the, the fire's not too hot. And as long as we do that, we're not going to have any meaningful impact on timber quality at all. You know, one other thing, too, that, that occurs to me, we kind of talked about it to start with, but when we think about fire, a lot of times on TV, we'll see these horrific western wildfires, which, by the way, are really the result of decades of fire exclusion and really unnaturally high fuel loads. But here in our eastern systems, whether it's oak, oak pine, even pine forests that occur in our part of the country, the kind of fires we're talking about are much, much more moderate intensity. And as long as we manage that fuel properly and those fires properly, we're not going to do much damage at all to these overstory trees. And 
we can have that fire and these rich habitats without eliminating our ability to produce valuable lumber and timber products. Thanks for that. I know there's a lot of research going into this topic right now, too. Is there anything else you want to mention before we close out? You know, we've been around the, the, the bad side of the story of fire for so many decades between Smoky Bear and other uh, things like that, that we've sort of forgotten the good role of fire in these forests, keeping them healthy, keeping them vigorous, allowing them to replace themselves and, and provide all these many niches that benefit so many species of wildlife. But we've talked about bats, birds, bears, all of them respond favorably to this kind of management. And so we're really trying to put something back out on the landscape that has all but disappeared and, and really belongs here as part of our natural heritage. We certainly don't need to use prescribed fire on every acre out there. We don't need to restore woodland or savanna on every acre out there, but we certainly need to restore some of this habitat somewhere to maintain this rich natural diversity. Well put. Well, thank you, Pat, for giving us some insights into the world of fire science. For more about fire in the Appalachians, join us again next time on the Fire Learning Trail. Thanks again for listening to the Fire Learning Trail podcast. For more information, you can contact the Daniel Boone National Forest or the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists at www.appalachianfire.org. And feel free to join our conversations on Facebook and Twitter by using the hashtag GoodFire, G-O-O-D-F-I-R-E.